the contact center agent is able to uh, understand the question, not just with his ability, but the machine is also listening to that question and is able to go back and pull up the information related to this customer uh, and plus beyond, even let's say the market, uh, the market numbers and you know the market trends and piece it together as a potential options of response for the contact center agent to be able to feedback and say, hey, how about this and how about that? where the conversation become more meaningful. Uh, it even potentially bring up things that even the caller may not have thought of, which is but it's essential for, for him. Let's say he has lost a credit card beyond the certain things of just, you know, making sure that we can replace. There may be other implications that, that uh, he has relationships with the bank or, or maybe beyond that. So these are, these are just some, just an example that I just bring up on a call, contact center of how you know, generative AI can be really, really be useful and applicable in our lives. Welcome to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Slayton, and I'm so glad you're here. I empower leaders to turn indifferent customers into loyal fans. I talk to guests with a wide range of expertise who share meaningful insights and wisdom. We give you practical tips and proven frameworks and share ways to help you delight your customers. This is a very special episode, not only because of Dr. Francis Go from Amazon, but because this episode is number 50 of the Delighted Customers podcast. We're almost exactly at one year from the launch, and I wanted to thank you for your trust in me and for caring about the customer experience. Another big celebration is that we expect to pass the 3,000 download mark for episodes, and that's a great achievement, and I could not have done it without you. Thank you so much, and I hope you'll subscribe if you haven't already, and share a good word with someone you think might get value out of joining us on the Delighted Customers Podcast. Well, I can't tell you how excited I am to have my guest on the show today, Francis Go. And I tell you, I've been blessed to have guests all over the world from the UK, Ireland, India, and today, Francis is coming from all the way from Singapore. Francis, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's my pleasure as well to be here. Well, why don't you give our audience a bit of a run-up as to um, how you got to what you do and what you do. And let me just say that Francis is the digital innovation leader for Amazon Web Services, the AWS, a, a huge part of Amazon and their success. So if you could introduce yourself. All right. Good evening and good morning to my American audience. Um, <laughs> Singapore calling and darling in from Singapore, the bright and sunny island, which I believe many of you have been, uh, at least been passed by this part of the world. And when you come to Asia Pacific, most of the time, Singapore would probably be a destination that you would have landed on. So, um, yeah, thanks for inviting me, uh, Mark. And it's my pleasure to be able to hear and have a chat about the topics that I personally very, very passionate about, which is customer experience and innovation, which to me, they are very, very intertwined together. And it's, it's all that I do. And it's all my passion 
particularly I found my sort of ikigai, uh, you know, bearing for what I love to do, what I'm passionate about, what the world needs, and the beautiful part is what you get paid for, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, so how I got to where I am today, uh, it's a very interesting journey because I started off as an engineer, as a young man, and thought that I would, do, you know, have rest of my life uh, being an engineer, which most of us do when we have our first degree out of school, thinking that was the world that we enter. But very soon uh, after a couple of short years in engineering with Exxon, I ventured into the consulting world where I went into tech through Accenture. Um, and through the consulting businesses, I went into pure tech because that was time when if you all recall, only enough to recall that Accenture IPO in the early 2000. And then BPOs and ITOs are all the, you know, the big money stuff. So I spent the last 20 years in tech uh, with a couple of companies, with HP, Fujitsu, um, SAP, and Microsoft. And most of my roles were regional uh, sales business development roles. And there was a couple of them were country GM's roles as well. So, but in the last six years, I would say, um, I sort of found my bearing in, in the in the, in the space of uh, innovation because I've always been very curious. And I said, hey, how, how does this work? I've been asking a lot of questions that led me to uh, myself, first of all, learning new things around, new things around innovation, startups, you know, the whole thing, which I became not just being curious to find out, but I became very good at it because I put a lot of time, effort, and and learned those things and became a coach uh, for for founders and startups. In the last mm. recent two years, I, I I found a role that was surprisingly was back to corporate. When I say surprisingly, because just before Amazon, I spent six years on my own as a startup founder. Um, coaching startup, building businesses, and doing very exciting stuff. Very non-corporate, very, you know, in a way that's very entrepreneur in in nature. Mm-hmm. But this role that I have is it's extremely interesting. It's sort of made for me because in my current role, I do three things. The first, I inspire. Uh, I'm, I'm put in position to share Amazon story, which which Amazon has a very interesting story, particularly from the standpoint of how. You know, our story, how we evolved from a bookshop and then the stories that, you know, you know, goes beyond that through having a very innovative culture. The second thing I do is I do specific training uh, for our clients around innovation processes. Particularly Amazon has our own innovation process. So then I bring that training to our customers. And the third thing I do is on mentoring and coaching, where it's wanting to learn the techniques and the, the tools of innovation. It's another when they roll out the sleeves and they start to innovate themselves. That's where I come in for to help them in the first 12 weeks in the sprint to guide them to the first prototype. So this is where I got myself into. Mm. Well, that is an amazing run up. And I know you left a lot out. Um, I know you've got, um, as I'm looking at your bio, you have got your MBA from the University of Dubuque in Iowa, and then a PhD in international management from the University of Preston in Wyoming here. So I, I should be calling you doctor. <laughs> well, there was a long time ago where it was uh, there was curiosity that led me towards this, this deep diving into some of these subjects. 
And it was also beautiful because they were all um, funded and sponsored by my by, by ExxonMobil, my first organization that I joined. So mm. I was very blessed to be able to go through those. But you know what? Learning is never stops. And those are just you know tips of the iceberg where what we learn in schools and varsities. These are just really the door opener. Like, like this this day and age that we are, right? In the last six months where the whole world had been so encapsulated with ChatGPT bringing up that famous generative AI, you know, to the world where although it's not new, but it's just bring up the whole, the whole stuff of how what, what fabulous thing it can do for us. Yeah, exactly, and and I'd love to dig into that more. But before we do that, let's let me just um, talk about how excited I am to have you on how we got to know each other and i want to just give a little background about amazon because um if i think about the brands that i that i would aspire to have on the delighted customers podcast amazon somewhere at the top of the list and i'm so excited to have you on the show and and um so we met um and then i'll tell you talk more a little bit more about amazon uh, through the CXPA, the Customer Experience Professionals Association uh, board, and Francis got um, selected uh, to the board of directors this year. I've been serving in my third year, the end of my third year now, and uh, that's so. That's how we got to know each other. And you've been doing work for a while in in Singapore and East Asia for CXPA for a while. Um, Amazon. Okay, so Amazon. So one of the things, and I don't know if you've had this experience at Accenture or ExxonMobil or one of these places you work, but we created an orient orientation for new hires and one full day dedicated to the customer experience. So every single new hire who came through, I worked at a bank, um, came through, got exposure to, understood how it related to our culture, understood like what role they could play. What What is it? What do we measure? What are we looking at? Why is it important to the organization? And people generally came away, not, not overwhelmingly came away with not just a like for what we did, but a reinforcement of the decision they made to came join the organization. And one of the questions that we asked in this orientation was, uh, it was an exercise we did called Head and Heart, Head and Heart. And we asked about what your favorite brand was. And we asked, you know, pr pretty much had 20 to 24 new hires in a month. And Amazon always made the top five list. Always. I can't think of a time when Amazon didn't. There were Apple and sometimes Southwest Airlines and others, Chick-fil-A. But um, Amazon always made it. And, and uh, that tells you something about the universal love that people have for the brand. And I would like to know as someone who can, you're, you're in the innovation aspect of it, but what do you think um, makes Amazon as an organization so special? Well, you know, this is, this is a really a great question. And in my job and my role right now in Amazon, I, I've been exposed to this question quite a lot because I'm put in front of customers, uh, where I share about Amazon's culture of innovation. Now, particularly every organization has its own culture, as we all know right now, but Amazon's is, has its core culture centralized in innovation and is what we do, uh, as, our leadership principles have demonstrated there are 16 of them 
at least half of them speaks about innovation. Mm. For example, thinking big, right? Just for example, um, earn trust, deliver results. These are these are all very related to uh, innovative thinking. And you know, when Amazon was formed in the 1990s, right? So where we all know that innovation is key for a lot of organizations, and we have seen successes in some of them, particularly in the last, let's say, five decades. But increasingly, even in the 1990s, when innovation maybe was not so much of a buzzword at that time, it was important, but it wasn't that critical as nowadays. Where even an organization does not define itself in a very strong way in terms of their vision, mission, and values towards innovating new product and solution, they are at very high risk of. Reaching a stagnation of where they are as an organization or their market share, and mm-hmm. you know, nothing stays still. It's either you go up or you go down, right? So, if you don't continue to innovate, there's a very high chance that there is going to be, uh, you know, your competitors will start eating your lunch and eating your market share. So, Amazon uh, it defines itself very strongly from day one um, as an innovative organization. And it has demonstrated very uh, strongly where the roots of it was a bookshop business and very soon became an e-commerce, where at that time in the 90s, 90s, e-commerce wasn't that big like now, where particularly, you know, pandemic has brought the whole world towards that. And everyone was never born online before, pretty much everyone does now, as long as they could get hold of an account um, and then we went further than that. As you can see, Amazon has went into, you know, devices, Alexa, and webs. AWS is one of the, one of these, the big successes that we continue to celebrate about, uh, and where I belong in the organization. And it's a organization that is fully in tech at the time when Jeff announced that. You know, the, you know, there was a magazine, the, it was Business Week, I believe, if I'm not wrong. And then, and this analyst was saying, ask Jeff to go back to mend his store, literally the bookstore. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what do you know about tech, right? I mean, it, it was really a big leap of faith. Um, and also, but, but not doing things blindly because the leadership principles that we have demonstrated us and allow us to be very customer obsessed. One of the key things that we talk about always is being customer obsession customer obsession is is a big word it's not just you know every every brand would talk about their focus on customers but being obsessed the word obsessed is a very strong word where you you know think of that all the time and i think it's important to over exaggerate that customer focus that everyone should be having where obsession is extreme but it's just the message is clear that is where we start like our innovation process, we call working backwards from where customers' wants and needs are, and then we derive back to the solution. It's almost human nature that we everyone is very excited about cool tech. Like when you remember the days when blockchain or you know even now generate IO, then people will like say, "Hey, where can I apply this?" It's a very cool tech, uh, but we don't start from tech, even though we are a tech company. We put tech at the last point i tell the guys you know i didn't do my workshop i say don't think about software hardware tech at all i just want to spend the entire week to talk about what customers the pain points the journey that they have what really the customers want their needs and then really spending a lot of time a lot of rigor in that space 
and then that by the time if you get that clear and by the time the, the ideas come in terms of solutioning you will be spoiled for choices when it comes to tech solutions but don't start there because when you start there you actually do get yourself into a into the rabbit hole where where i have this thing that i always like to tell people when you, you are like a carpenter with a hammer everything that you look at looks like a nail yeah yeah no i i appreciate that and um and i love that idea of you know start with the customer and reverse engineer and and what i heard one time back when i was working at the bank was we want to be careful of using technology to search for a strategy right leveraging technology to search for a strategy and yeah. that that happens so easy so easy to fall into that trap there's a new toy a new bell and whistle right and so i want to ask you you mentioned this just a moment ago and i really i want to double tap on this idea of so let me let me just pull out that gem <laughs> um you 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 just said so much that i i want to unpack a little bit of of some of the gems that i heard one is this idea of customer obsession which um, you, you're right. That's a very strong term, but it makes a point, I think, of in everything we think, do, design, build, deliver, we always have to keep the customer in mind and not lose that, not get distracted. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, so let me, let me just pull that one out for the audience, right? That's a big deal. And it's easy to get other things. And I like the way you described it. If we start with the technology or the solution, whether it's tech or something else, and then we try and, you know, deliver something from there, then we're, we can go down a rabbit hole. Yeah. We can get in this trap. Right. Yeah. And so, and so the idea is let's understand the customer's journey is what you said mm -hmm. um, and, and understand what's most important to them. And, and so it's what I love about what you're telling me is that that's the, just to if tell me if I'm right here is linking the chain between how Amazon back in 1999 started off as a, as a, as an, a digital bookstore basically um, and grew and blew people away and they got into all these other businesses and eventually became what it is applied those same principles to build out AWS. Yes. So you know, um, I give you an example how. Amazon uh, demonstrated the customer obsession. So at a time when, you know, in the early days when Amazon was in the, the books business, when, and that was about the same time, not very long after the Kindle came out, you know, and, and anyone would imagine that when the, the, the business model for Kindle is basically, it's going to cannibalize the books, the, the books business, obviously people are just starting to download into their, into their, you know, Kindle and they stop they may stop or reduce their buying of books in the bookstore, right? Right. No, but then, then why did Amazon take that step? So that, that example is that reason is because Amazon fully focused on what customers really want when it comes to reading a book. What they want is not really spending money to buy a book per se. It, it's, it's indulging into a storyline. They want to be immersed into, they want to know the, they want to know the story, immersed into it, or anytime, anywhere they want. So if you think about what I just said about anytime, anywhere they want, they want to be able to have the stories, any version, continuously on the beach, 
reading in the hot sun and a long battery life. So, so it comes to the point where it's beautifully have something in your hand uh, and you can download anywhere, anywhere, anytime, at, well, any languages, any versions you want versus that you're going to make a trip to the, to the bookstore. So yes, although it did cannibalize the, 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 the revenues of the bookshop, but it would look long-term. Amazon has a, has a strong business view of long-term demonstrating our obsession with customers' needs and wants. And then customers will reward us back being loyal and being having a long-term relationship with the organization. And with the long-term view, we stand to gain together. When customers wins, we win. Yeah, perfectly said. Um, and so I want to I want to go back to um, something that you alluded to when you were talking earlier, and that is um, customer experience and uh, technology, specifically um, specifically the intersection of uh, AI and mm-hmm. customer experience management. You know, there's been so much said. Uh, and you mentioned like just really seems like the la- it, se- it seems like the last six months or so AI has just kind of exploded. It's like someone lifted the cover off of it. And for many, there's a fear of what it means to jobs. The- there was a- an article today on on some security concerns mm-hmm. about AI, um, personal personal things or business things that there could be breaches because of AI. Um, and I'm sure the list goes on, but then there's an upside to it. And people are a little bit, um, you know, kind of walking and trying to figure out what does it mean? So we're hearing so much about it. Could you help break it down just a little bit in terms of like what it is and AI, generative AI, and um, how how it may be able to have an intersection with customer experience? Yeah, sure. You know, first of all, uh, let me start from the foundation understanding artificial intelligence or AI has been around for a long time. Um, and, and Amazon, since the days when we were in e-commerce, I mean, we get recommended things that we, we know they are very suitable to our likes and, and based on our, you know, our browsing patterns. And, and we are familiar with that. A lot of people have been exposed to that. So it's AI per se is not new at all. However, in the last six months, uh, ChatGPT brought the popularity or the or the application of the another subset or branch of AI, which we call generative AI, which I will define in a moment, to 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 the masses, where people then say, "Oh, wow, this is really cool. This can answer questions exactly." find answers for me and not going through browsing and getting, getting bombarded with the advertisement and, and has to piece together information. This this is really cool, ChatGPT. You know, the, the functionality is really meeting the needs of a lot of people, at least from the from doing some research standpoint. Now, ChatGPT is really riding on the generative AI, uh, the branch of artificial intelligence, where new content is is able to be produced from the artificial intelligence being trained on models. Now, without generative AI, the traditional AI, which is basically you feed, you train the AI, the models with a lot of data sets. And with the training of the model, the AI is able to basically, uh, you know, the algorithms allow it to be able to, to understand and, and recognize maybe pictures and video clips. But 
it does not it, it just makes sense of it and make a lot of sense I and mean, it can even make some prediction of course the the, the high uh, the high uh, machine learning kind of ai but gen the branch of generative ai is much more in interesting it require a lot much more bigger data sets we're talking about 500 billions or more right and with that amount of data set it's able to piece and generate new content new pictures uh to go out and this is something a new piece of art a new drawing right this is this particularly is interesting because then we can then use it for a lot of creative application mm. so um now the application is fabulous in the future what what amazon i mean just any, any tech company i mean we all know the future of um applications of general ai is uh, big in a very big way just like let me take an example where you ask how does it relate to customer experience yeah. say for example a call center we call into a call center traditionally they will validate us from asking some a couple of security questions right and right. then after we pass that we get authenticated then they say okay what can i do for you and and, and the process is we are very familiar but it's kind of cumbersome and sometimes we don't really get what we need and then and the contact center have to come back to us with an answer later or maybe have to escalate for permission what generally AI and, and it can really do is, for example, um, it it's first of all there's this branch about having able to recognize your voice to authenticate you once they have uh, have done a recording and and like a recognition of your voice pattern before collecting that data. Now that says that 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 is not going to replace entirely the authentication, but at least it's another added layer of security where they could ask you potentially less questions uh, but they have authenticated you through the voice the frequencies of your voice and even visual right like there's a video that you can dial in uh, the visual the optical side of it can even further authenticate that's one element the second element is around the contact center agent is able to uh, understand the question not just with his ability but the machine is also listening to that question and is able to go back and pull up the information related to this customer uh, and plus beyond even let's say the market uh, the market numbers and you know the market trends and piece it together as a potential options of response for the contact center agent to be able to feedback and say hey how about this and how about that where the conversation become more meaningful uh mm. even potentially bring up things that even the caller may not have thought of which is but it's essential for for him let's say he has lost a credit card beyond the certain things of just you know making sure that we can replace there may be other implications that that uh he has relationships with the bank or, or maybe beyond that so these are these are just some just an example that i just bring up on a call contact center of how you know, generative AI can be really, really be useful and applicable in our lives. Yeah. So um, what I like you said, what you said was that um, the machine does learning and it's, lear it's learning off complex models, um, right? You know, it's been, it's the next best offer in a contact center has been around for a couple of years, but I think the next best offer, which is basically the, um, prompt in front of the agent at the contact center saying, Mr. Jones is just recently opened a checking account. He might be in line for a home equity line. You know, why don't you say, have you heard about our recent home equity line promotion? Yeah. But I think, I think the accuracy of that 
was just based on some some broad based triggers right and and my guess and you tell me if i'm wrong is that with gener- generative ai we can know a lot more about the customer and get a lot more fine tuned about what that offer is yeah definitely you know um there are sometimes there are some limitations to every individual when they come to the interaction right you may not you may have slipped your mind in looking at certain areas where and because we're processing information at the same time at a, at a, at a very high speed but we cannot compete with a machine that's able to go back to 500 billion beta sets. You know, that, that's something that we can't process at that kind of limited time. So it, it's a very good assistant tool for us. Now, another application I can thought of, I've been asked recently, you, you know, the, the doctors and the lawyers, hey, who is, this is back to your question earlier about the ethical part of AI, right? People mm-hmm. can read, uh, you know, privacy, uh, accuracy, some information, things like that. So I've been asked recently that in the future, if the doctors were to make a diagnosis from the machine, uh, is it the responsible of the doctor or the machine? You know, all, all the lawyers ask the same questions. Now, so my, my response is, is the same as what we all know, that is that the, the AI is able to assist the professionals in looking at the holistic and coming up with the whole the, the potentials solutions the the parameters but ultimately the machines should not be left to make the decision unless of course that particularly if you do with patients and we do with lives and with medication you 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 at least you don't want to do that you, you want the doctor to be able to say okay these are a the couple of options uh this looks about right and just to validate that really you know uh and and not doing the heavy lifting of going to you know diagnostic from scratch so basically i always tell people that ai is able to do 80 percent of the stuff particularly the heavy lifting research and you know basically uh augmentation summarization of a lot of information and then it still boils down to us humans to play a role in governing the accuracy and eventually we have to take the accountability is just like today right in making prognosis or diagnosis about certain outcome. So it does not alleviate us the responsibility uh, of that, even though the machine is getting smarter. And But it, they, what they, all they do is just they're assisting us in making professionals' job easier. So thank you, Francis. Um, that uh, may relieve some fears of some people listening <laughs> about job loss. You know, it's, it's making, I think, more the the human uh the human aspect of jobs and the delivery of customer experience more valuable put, putting a higher value on and, and eliminating all of the time spent in routine high maintenance high energy uh information that machines can help assist us with right right okay so now if you are a leader and you're interesting in, in transforming your culture to improve the experience your customers receive from you, and you're you're just hearing about AI and you're sort of not sure what to do with it, where is a good place for th- that person to begin? Um, okay, and the person is a leader and understand that you know with, the, with this recent hype about the the generative AI and the potential use case. 
Yeah. I would I would encourage the this this leader to first to start to embark on the learning journey. There's tons of material out there. You know, you you name it, uh, LinkedIn Learning and whatever you can get hold of. Of course, there are also a lot of very official courses, and I'm sure this a lot of top universities are rolling out executive programs, and even snippets of uh, videos that people can go on learning bite-sized information specifically from the YouTube. So I think that the very importantly is the security, the high sense of curiosity is important. That's number one uh, that the leader should possess. Uh, secondly, the leader should look at should be very open minded uh, about the possibilities because this is really a new whole application and opportunities for for the world and for us. Be open minded in what it can do, um, and at the same time learn about the the pluses, the minuses, the risks that associated with this new technology. And finally, it nothing beats the fact that this leader has to get his hands dirty, um, have an opportunity to get work on a project, start from a small project, let's say, uh, assemble a team, be part of a team that start to look at, hey, how can I solve this challenge that he, within his business line? And of course, I always want to focus that solving the challenge, not starting from technology again, but from the customer's pain point, the user's journey, uh, the the motivations, the goals, the personas that's being built, and then as you walk through that, when you come to solutioning uh, and find opportunity to apply Gen AI, and often I would say most of, at least half the time you can. How do you apply Gen AI as part of the solution later on when they get surfaced up? So through this hands-on experience, a leader will be able to learn a, a whole lot more, being very actively involved. Yeah. All right. Well, well, thank you. And I imagine along the way, as they form their team and they get educated and they pick an, an opportunity to go after, there may be some obstacles um, in incorporating something like generative AI into their customer strategy. What What are some of those obstacles? Uh, I would say one of them would be mindset. Um, and I deal a lot of that in my, hmm. in my role when I have customers to innovate in their journey. Uh, mindsets take several forms, right? And 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 a lot of them are, are dealing with our human nature. Where you know, for example, one of them is that whatever doesn't break, why fix? For example, mm. this one. <laughs> Another one is that uh, okay, this is my well, I know there's a problem there, but why, why should I fix it? Because if I fix it, it doesn't meet my personal agenda, right? And and some mm. of them even uh, it may even risk he or he or she may think that if I were to try to fix this i may lose my job maybe mm. so why, should I, why should i get involved why should i be too active so and, and another another one the mindset is also that oh i i don't know enough i, I i'm not sure i can learn or I, I can learn fast enough I, i'm not a guy that fixed this ask someone else so these are a couple of just example of uh, all mindset related uh are all different obstacles that i see a lot in organizations that are stopping individuals, teams, even sometimes a whole organization to move forward in really experimenting with new technologies to solve the the impending and real problems that they face. Okay. All right. So we talked about some of the obstacles uh, uh, that, that I think is helpful for people planning it, know this ahead of time, realize there are obstacles um, and help help navigate those what is the payoff and of of embracing uh, this sort of technology, and what are the risks of doing nothing? 
Wow. Okay. So um, if I were to compare the the ROI of using this technology, it's just like in in the good old days when we did not have the internet. I mean, we we have tons of encyclopedias, or we're going to mm. walk the rows of shelves of library. Now, when you do any one of us do research, we do research with our fingers in sitting put at home, right? I I still remember that those days I had to walk the halls and different floors, different shelves, just to find the book. If I'm lucky to find the piece of or the, the book or the paragraph on the page. So um, it pays off because of efficiency. And it's just like automation, right? Now, the risk of not you know, embracing this, it's just not just for generative AI, it's just for any technology that comes on in our lives and now or future. If we don't embrace change, uh, including adopting new technologies and new way of operations it, to, to make us more efficient, we definitely will be, we definitely will fall behind because others who are willing to embrace and experiment and be successful, they will go far, way far ahead in terms of their innovation journey and therefore successes in the outcome of whatever corporate and individual objectives that they want to achieve. Yeah, yeah, well said. All right, I want to move over to um, Amazon and AI. And oftentimes, um, when I have guests on the show and they're currently working inside of a brand, they um, there are certain things that they're they're able to say, and there are certain things that they're unable to say for confidentiality reasons. And my question is geared around Amazon and how you are using generative AI, how you plan to use it in the future, and to what end. And I kind of gave you a prompt ahead of time, and you said actually we're okay talking about it yeah in fact we are in the forefront of helping our customers to use generative ai to the whatever possibility they can let me start with the, the, the explain about uh, the three basic layers of uh, generative ai uh, technology that we play on the foundation layer in the data centers, uh, Amazon in or AWS, we 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 invest uh, on the chip layer because, like for example, we have a we have a collaboration with Nvidia and we produce our own chip that we call Inferentia, where it's a a, a chip that really helped in print in inference for inferencing uh, purposes. We also have an, a chip development called Trainium, where it's it's really to train the models for machine learning. Now, so this is the chip layer that we, the reason why we invest in that technology is because we want to bring the cost down and then pass the cost back to our customers. Because Amazon is, is always very conscious from day one in getting efficient and, and having returned some of the savings back to customers, which, which customers always desire. Now, the, the middle layer is where we have a product that we launched, we announced called Amazon AWS Bedrock. This is basically the foundational models of of the generative AI. So you see, in the, in, the, in, the, in the older days, a lot of organizations would have to spend a lot of effort, time, and people resources to build their own models, train them. That takes a lot of effort. Amazon the Bedrock is a foundation of models where they are really built standard models that we, through our own experience, they are usable for a lot of use cases where they can start using these foundational models and then they could tweak and customize. So that therefore, sort of like you don't start from gear one, you start from gear three and then build your gear four and then there you go. And then on the application layer, uh, we have a, we have a, announced a product called uh, Code Whisperer. It's really uh, democratizing coding. Uh, 
uh, in the past, we know that coders and, and coding is a skill that people need to spend time studying and, and coders are very good at where Code Whisperer allows them to use NLP, natural language, uh, to, to write codes uh, without very, very deep uh, you know, background in coding. For example, I could just type, uh, write me a media file to uh, explain or, or show this, uh, this workflow, for example, and using plain languages. And then on the, on the other panel, it will come all the codes options, and then you can just look at it. The, the coder can just pick them choose and apply that, that saves tremendous a lot of time by just they can choose what these codes are applicable and they can start experimenting there. So we play in all these three layers, helping customers to to get them more efficient, to start them off much more quicker. They don't have to start from scratch when they, they work with us, work on our technology, they really have a, a great head start, so to speak. I wanna I wanna ask you, and this is a treat for me, I hope for my from our, our listeners today is because you do come from a different part of the world to kind of, you know, we're especially us as people, Canada and, and, and the islands near us and Mexico and you know North America, we're especially the U S though, we're a bit myopic in the way we view things and we're very U S centric and we have our kind of own view of the U.S. as the center of the universe. Uh, but we know that's not true. And so I'd like to, if you don't mind sharing with us a little bit about, like, if you're, if you're doing business in Singapore, you're interested in doing business in Singapore and you don't currently, you know, what, would, what should leaders know who wish to engage customers there about what, how it's different than the U.S.? Yeah, that's a great question. And you know, the for many of the listeners here, uh, I'm sure at least a good whole, a good uh, percentage has been through Asia. Would understand what I just going to say is Asia is a melting pot of so many different cultures, and it also has been for decades has been one of the highest growth region in the world. And I still believe uh, that we are. Although we still we have seen some signs of China struggling a little bit and slowing down after after the recovery of the pandemic, uh, but other than that, you know, it's really a region that has always been demonstrating high growth and also very very diverse in cultures. And we all know that doing business in in any way in any form, culture play a very big part in making things happen. So. Understanding culture, uh, even myself, for example, I operate in Southeast Asia as my primary region, which makes up of, uh, you know, 14 countries, but I am more active in about four or five of them myself personally, because I handle public sector and this, I typically go for the large accounts. Even the four or five countries that I frequently travel to, let's say, let's take them, let me name them, like Malaysia, Thailand, Indonesia, Philippines are very different, even though we're just neighbors, but they are extremely different in terms of language, practices, culture, costume, you name it. Everything's so different. Therefore, when I travel, I'm very cognizant in the way I operate, the way I think, um, the way the people think, people, the workflow and processes. processes uh, it's all different. So we've got to be very cognizant because if not, the risk is extremely high where people don't just don't want to engage you, right? I mean, just if you just don't understand the culture or you don't show the even if you don't show the interest to know about the culture or the language, people don't want to engage you too much. 
On the other hand, if you show high interest of uh, curiosity and like, for example, I, I learned, I tried to speak a, the, the language of these neighboring countries, uh, the basic ones, but I, at least the beginning of the, of the sessions, I greet them in a couple of sentences, even though I'm not far from perfect, but they appreciate that I'm trying. And that immediately, you know, bridge that, that, that uh, differences in terms of our culture and where we come from. So this is just to demonstrate that uh, it's so important to understand the culture, show high interest in it, and operate in that. When you operate in a certain country, you operate in their culture, in their domain of operation, so that that you can be more successful in whatever you do. Yeah, and, and that goes right along with customer experience. Thinking is is outside in. Think think about the people that you're interacting with. Let me let me uh, press down on that a little bit. And since you're from Singapore, you shared that with me. Um, what might be something that an American might find might be well armed to go into a meeting with that they might not be aware of, uh, give, given their you know, assuming that they've only done business in America, they they walk into a meeting in Singapore and they're trying to make a presentation or meet executives. What are some things they need to be aware of relative to the culture there that would be different? Okay, now, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, this is an interesting mm -hmm. one because Singapore itself, although you know, we are a tiny nation, a very small place, but it's very hard to even generalize the response here because mm -hmm. you can walk into any company, particularly MNCs, you will have sometimes like 20 people in the room, you're going to have like 18 18 cultures, 18, 18 out of 20 are from different countries and around the world. Yeah. So, so it is very, very cosmopolitan uh, city. So as a result of that, you're going to get a very international response. So the American walking in will typically be uh, very familiar with an environment that is very international. So hmm. we'll be fairly co uh, comfortable because uh, it's pretty, very as, as being international is very standard. Now, if 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 the on the other hand, let's say if the American walk into an organization that is a very let's say the public sector, for example, right, it's mostly you know staffed uh, by locals and and the local uh, and Singaporeans, then sometimes uh, although there are a lot of similarities that we have, for example, uh, we are pretty straightforward in terms of we the way we express our views. Uh, we basically what we what you see, what you get is pretty much out there, uh, but there are sometimes. Sometimes uh, when there is a very important person in the room, there may be a tendency that the most important person, the most senior person, or the hippo, we call it, it will be the, the one talk, do the talking, and you don't get the rest to really talk very much. That's something that I think is getting lesser, as I see over the years, uh, but it's still quite remarkably different compared to uh, American culture where I lived in the US for a while and I and you really have a level, fair level, level playing field where everybody uh, encourage uh, in fact feel very natural everyone in the room regardless of rank and position people f when they have a point or position or something to share they're fairly relaxed and confident to just to speak out and, and that's that's one of the major stark difference that I see excellent excellent well, I, I appreciate the rundown and um, I, great, great um, ambassador for the country of Singapore. We should all go visit that country, right? 
Yes, you, you, you must come. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So now the same question I ask all my guests at the, at the end here, uh, which is, I, I'd love to ask you, which is what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Wow. You know what? Um, I would uh, recently have been thinking about this for a while. In fact, uh, more from a personal, personal perspective, but mm-hmm. maybe I can ask this a bit more from the professional perspective. I would, uh, I, I would, if I were to go back to my 20 year old self, I would want to uh, go into a couple of learning. Uh, I, I did engineering as a major. Now, if I were to do it differently, I would like today, there's more opportunities for someone to do double major, for example. You can do an engineering degree and a law at the same time and, you know, business degree and law. I, I would potentially take even three. I would put, I, I know I can do that. I have good time management. I'll do a triple degree. Uh, not to get the, not to get a search for say, it's just to, be able to be very balanced it, it, uh, it, to have opportunity to learn as much as I can more broadly as a young person. And then as I grow older, you begin to be more, you can, you can specialize and focus later on when you get to know a little bit more about certain industries and based on what you, what you love and your passion, you can align later. But as a 20 year old, it's best to learn everything includes engineering, law, business, finance. You've got to be a very well-balanced uh, person when you get into the early 20s. That would be something different that I would do. Mm. Well, that is great. I admire your energy. I was just thinking about myself. Um, I minored, I majored in marketing. I minored in economics at the University of Maryland, uh, which is, you know, now I, I would not be able to get in with the grades I had coming out of high school. But what you just said kind of blew my mind because I think I was just lucky to get out of there alive. Uh, when I got my bachelor's degree. So I admire your, your time management skills. You could probably teach a course in that if you were able to do three majors at once. Um, but I know at what is what it reflects is your love for learning. In fact, I have been coaching a couple of uh, MBA I mean, the last six years, coaching a lot of MBAs from the National University of Singapore, NUS, and also NTU, Danyang. And I see a lot of bright people coming through, uh, uh, and, and a lot of them have two or three majors and are doing very well. And, and they also understand what I'm talking about, is to really learn as much as you can, as broad as you can. You may not have very deep understanding, at least not on the bachelor level, but it's fine. At least you get exposure, and then later you can always measure and focus, and then as you go along. Moreover, we all know, as I said at the beginning of the of the podcast, is that uh, learning never stops. You know, so it's 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 a journey that's always continuous, no matter how old we get. But how how true that is. How lucky we are to have you on the board of CXPA. Uh, making an impact on our profession and encourage you, my friend, to continue to bring in the interests of Asia into this, uh, well, we're, we're US-centric, but we're trying not to be. So US-centric, the Customer Experience Professionals Association. Um, and it's an honor and a privilege to serve with you. And thank you so much for being on the Delighted Customers Podcast show, Francis. Thanks, Mark. It's a pleasure for me to be able to speak and share uh, my views anytime, Mark. And I look forward to uh, host you when you come to Singapore. Yay! I can't wait. (laughs) All right. Thanks so much, Francis. All right. Thanks. Good evening. Thanks for listening to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'd like to ask you a favor. If you have enjoyed this episode or any of my other ones, hit subscribe or follow. I've got a lot of other great guests that are coming up, 
and a lot of other great content, and I don't want you to miss anything. You can find any links or references on the show in the show notes, and you can find those on my website at empoweredcx.com.